but Project 86 uh, songs to burn your bridges by was one of them. I was like, I recognized this tight, the uh, album art immediately as like something that I saw in one of the cool youth group kids, uh, sleep like CD sleeves. So, um, he used to put on Spy Hunter and lock his door and then just stab the eyes out of people in the JCPenney catalog. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, I sounds, would gut my stuffed animals as well. That I sounds healthy. Doing. Yeah. <laughs> no, but that was, uh, so that, that was like a big, uh, that was, a, that was a big move for me into the, uh, the heavier music world. So the stabbing or the music, the music. <laughs> and if it wasn't for that catchy ass <laughs> album art, man. Everybody, welcome to another episode of Growing Up Christian. I'm Sam, and I am alone today. I reached out to some friends. Uh, they were not around. Casey is on vacation, so I'm doing this intro all by myself. It feels incredibly strange looking into my own eyes as I record this. Um, I don't actually recall if I've done an intro without anyone before Casey's done that a couple of times. Cause you know, I'm a real grown up with a family and he's just kind of fucks around and goes on vacation all the time, apparently. Uh, but I think this may be the first time that I've done this by myself and it feels weird. Uh, a lot of respect for anyone who does like solo podcasts, especially stream of consciousness ones like Bill Burr. You have to be a special kind of narcissist to be able to just go on and on and on for an hour and a half. Um, of course, there's plenty that, that are mostly scripted or at least have a lot of notes, uh, maybe on the true crime era. Um, a lot of those people kind of just read through their material and do some good editing and pull in some clips here and there. Uh, shout out Dan Cummins for... Uh, his uh his podcast you know he's he'll go a good two and a half hours all by himself and that is insane to me so i don't know uh where this is gonna go or uh how long it's gonna go for but probably not that long uh because without human validation i seem to crumble so here we go um right now i'm sitting here drinking a um a cheap ass miller light uh while i try to bust this out and uh, I spent the past two and a half hours working on dinner. I do want to blow some smoke up my own ass because I do make a killer chicken parm. Uh, I put a lot of care into it. I don't make a lot of... I, I'm pretty good at cooking. I'm okay at it. I do most of it. Uh, I prefer to do it. I do actually really enjoy it. When I get home from work, I usually immediately start prepping dinner. Um, I, I It's relaxing. I I'm happy to do it. Um, I also am like not a great person to be around if uh, someone else is cooking. Like if my wife's cooking, I'm just like, oh, you might want to turn that down a little bit. Like I'm I'm an asshole. I'm really annoying. Um, I'm very much stuck in my own ways of how you do things. So um, it's like, well, uh, maybe add a little this or that. And, you know, she's she's got it. She's fine. I just um, I don't know. So I think I I. I don't know if I like cooking as much as I just get like stressed out when I don't have control over it. I don't know. It's uh, but I, I there's a couple of things that I, I think I do well. Uh, there's a couple of soups. 
that I'll stand by. I've been making them for years. Uh, and I think they come out pretty fantastic. Soup is a little bit harder to fuck up because, you know, it's um, mostly just putting a bunch of shit in the pot and letting it do its thing for a couple hours. Uh, but my chicken farm is pretty fantastic. Uh, I'll stand by that so much so that um, I went on a, a pretty big. Uh, I've I've gone down the rabbit hole and looking at, at food trucks like because not too long ago I was out and I had a uh, it was like an Italian food truck. They pretty much just did meatballs and chicken parm. And I got these chicken parm sliders. And first off. They were not breaded. I. It's not chicken parm if it's not breaded. I don't know where you get off calling it chicken parm, but it was just these uh, seemingly unseasoned. Uh, honestly, the chicken looked boiled. It was like that colorless. Um, and the sauce was just mid as fuck. And it was kind of tough. The chicken was tough. And I knew. If I just devoted everything to, uh, if I devoted a food truck to chicken parm, I think I'd actually fucking slay because it's simple. You don't have to be like a chef. You don't have to know how to bring different flavors together. It's like you just make a baller sauce, check. You bread the fuck out of some chicken with a little bit of seasoning and you don't overcook it. And that's it. Not that hard, uh, but it comes out great. And every I make it for people a lot. Um, whenever I make it, I always make too much. We'll have people over. We'll bring it so, like to um, my my in laws or uh, my wife's grandparents that live right down the road. Uh, tonight I made too much, and I was like, "What are we gonna do with all this?" So we went and just drove down to her grandparents' house uh, and ate down there. And her grandmother will tell you, without a care in the world, that your food isn't good to her. Now. She's an old person and her taste buds are uh, barely hanging on. So I don't think she has great taste necessarily. But if it's, you know, if it's out of what she considers ordinary, she will criticize the hell out of it. And all I got was compliments on it. So I thought that was, you know, that that meant something uh, to me. It meant something. So at least old people might be interested in my food truck if I, if I follow through with that. But I do have summers off. So maybe that could be a summer job. I don't know. Um, dreaming big right now. Uh, I don't know uh, if I, I do this from time to time. I come up with some big thoughts and ideas about how the rest of my life could go. And uh, most of the time, I just kind of roll with what I'm doing now. So I probably won't get a food truck. Uh, I probably won't do any sort of uh, commercial uh cooking uh that just seems too stressful but uh one other thing before i go ahead and uh introduce our guest here uh, i want to point out that um i went bowling recently on friday night i'm recording this sunday night this episode will come out tuesday i went bowling uh for those of you who don't live in new england we have something called candle pin bowling and i believe that is uh, very much a New England thing. I'm not sure if it extends past here, but it's like it kind of like a ski ball you hold. There, these like small bowling balls you hold in your whole hand instead of putting your fingers in the holes. And the pins are thin; they're not rounded. They're just like 
yeah, candles, I guess. They look like candles, hence candle pin, I guess, is what they're going for. Uh, there's just thin little guys that don't have any shape. And um, it is, uh, I'm bad. I'm a bad bowler anyway, but uh, I went with my brother-in-law and I, my wife was taking my daughter to the uh, Ares, the Taylor Swift Ares tour movie. Um, so I brought my son bowling and my brother-in-law and my nieces went, um, it was, uh, embarrassing. So normally we do two lanes. We're like, but they were, they were, they were short on lanes. So we get there. It's right before cosmic bowling starts and everybody probably knows what cosmic bowling is. Um, but yeah, so right before, right before that we go, um, we usually get two lanes. Oh, lost my train of thought there. It's very, again, very strange not talking to an actual human and just looking at myself on a screen and talking to a microphone. So, um, one lane, my son is six. Uh, my nieces are five and three. <laughs> Might've fucked that up, uh, which makes me a bad uncle, but, um, we, uh, so we have bumpers up, right? I don't normally play with bumpers. Uh, which of course, like I'm, I'm awful. I'm awful at bowling, especially, uh, especially, I think I'm probably worse at candle paint. It's, it's a challenge. You roll that bitch right down the middle and it's speeding towards that center pin. You feel like you're going to like knock them all down and you just like flick the one in front and it just launches over the others and you get like one or two pins down and it, it doesn't seem to make any sort of sense um based on speed trajectory angle none of it makes sense um so i don't know i don't i don't know what i'm doing but i i'm i barely break a 70 let's that which is of course an awful score uh for bowling um but my so we have the bumpers up that way um i get a lot of gutter balls too normally but what i think is interesting is uh having those bumpers up i uh maybe twice hit them uh but normally i would get like gutter balls pretty regularly and I, it was almost like having the bumpers up took me out of my own head and i didn't have to i was like well i guess i can't i don't have to even worry about it anymore uh and not worrying about getting a gutter ball uh clearly helped me perform a slightly better which uh was still pretty awful my son who is six uh finished at a 79 and uh my brother my brother-in-law and myself uh rolled in in second with a 77 so i lost to a six-year-old in bowling with bumpers uh pretty fucking embarrassing i don't know what else to say i was just uh it was an experience. I had fun. I had fun both. We played two games. I had fun during both of them. But uh, it it's strange to be that unskilled at something. To just, I'm not, I don't, I'm not good at a lot of things. Um, maybe chicken parm is the only thing that I am good at. Uh, but I felt slightly pathetic uh, being that bad at bowling and um a buddy uh who we've met through the uh through the podcast uh our boy mark he's in the discord you can uh join the discord and and chat with mark if you want um 
Mark is a fantastic bowler. I see his reels. Mark, he 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 holds it cool too. It's not like you put your th- you don't put your fingers in the little holes there. Maybe he does. Maybe I'm not paying attention enough. But it's like when you wrap it in your arm and you get the two hands on it and you roll it out and you get that torque, you get that spin on it, baby. And he just rolls it. It looks like it's gonna hit the gutter and then it just spins right back into play at an angle rocks out a strike he's a great bowler so um when he reacted to uh I, the the post that i shared on my personal instagram uh the re- the the story that i shared on my personal instagram of being embarrassed about uh losing to a six-year-old uh his reaction to that with the little clappy hands uh really meant a lot to me so thanks shout out uh mark that's it mark's second shout out recently actually uh and he'll probably be getting a third soon because uh He's he's an OG. He's a great guy. Uh, we really have enjoyed his support and our conversations with him over the uh, since really the podcast inception. So you'll be hearing from him on an episode uh, sometime in the near future uh, as we get into his life and his story and, um, you know, break down maybe his relationship with his uh, his family, his parents, his dad, you know, that contentious type of thing that we all seem to have these days. But that's enough. Um, I don't think I have uh, a lot of rambling left in me. Um, our guest this week is uh, a wonderful man by the name of Andrew Schwab, who is uh, the vocalist for a band called Project 86. It, really good chance you know who that band is if you are a listener of this podcast um there's definitely an intersection here of uh heavy music and uh people who grew up christian uh that's not a that's a feels like a pretty common intersection thanks to uh tooth and nail and solid state and shit like that and uh they were a, a tooth and nail band for a while uh, i put my foot in my mouth a little bit on this interview because i I don't pay attention to record labels or what labels people are with. Um, they haven't been with tooth and nail for a bit, but I did ask if they still were, uh, cause I was curious about, um, how, how he finds their perception impacted by their, uh, history with a Christian label. Um, got that one a little bit off. They hadn't been with tooth and nail for a minute. And, um, but we had a fucking great, great, conversation um we got a little bit more into the history of the band and like his personal experiences um maybe didn't stay on the the topic of uh christianity as much as we normally do um and then towards the end uh you lose track of time sometimes with these interviews um especially when they're really rolling and you're really connecting with the, the person you're talking with uh you can definitely lose track of time and towards the end uh, Casey came out swinging with a big question about um, uh, current the current political climate and what's going on uh, with these um, what's going on in the world as far as uh, terrorist attacks and uh, certain countries' responses to that. Um, we broke that down. Uh, some of our takes on that a little bit last week, um, and we didn't really have time to end up getting into that with Andrew. But Andrew is a wonderful man who uh Casey the reason one of the reasons Casey really wanted to get into some of this stuff with him is because he does have a podcast where he or did have a podcast where him and uh his co-host would 
try to break down some of these topics and just be able to have conversations about it despite um, dis- potential disagreements or their idea was to take like, you know, hopefully a more moderate take on certain things. Uh, but what I liked about him is his genuine interest in having conversations with people who might not agree with him. Uh, he was very excited to be able to talk about this, uh, but unfortunately time wasn't permitting, but uh, he was very open to coming back and diving into some of these, you know, uh, more politically charged issues uh, that they liked to take on and that he liked to take on in his other podcast. So Hopefully we'll have him back on and we'll we'll get into uh, some heavier topics and be able to politely disagree. Um, it was funny, though, because one of the things Casey did bring up was talking about Israel and Palestine and that whole conflict. And um, if you watch the video for this one, um, the way he was setting up his uh, his stance uh, made it feel like we were on the same page. Um, and so I'm, you know, I'm nodding along. Oh yeah. Yeah. Totally with you. And then, and then he comes, and then his actual position was, um, uh, ascribed the, whatever position I, I was thought I was agreeing with, he ascribed it to the side of things that I, I, I was a little uncomfortable with. So, um, I probably, if you watch the video, look like I'm agreeing with him. And then that would be ironic, uh, since, the previous week's episode if you listen to it i I had very much a different opinion so uh just know that i i didn't realize the direction he was going in i'm more than comfortable saying that because it's clear that um it seemed clear at least that him and casey and uh i would have different opinions on things and uh the thing that we would be interested in is representing our opinions with integrity and fairly so um, I'm excited to, to hopefully have him back on and be able to have that conversation. Uh, obviously that that's, those can be difficult ones to have, but it is nice to find people who are interested in having them. I think that having conversations with people you disagree with very much helps us at least refine our opinions, gives us stuff to think about. Uh, it should cause us to maybe, um, look something up or, or consider something, even if it's just briefly or just long enough to realize that maybe, you know, we still haven't been swayed uh, and that's fine too. But I think having legitimate disagreement and and having honest conversation um, about, about particular events and facts um, and looking at the way we interpret them differently is, is helpful. Um, I think, you know, we don't probably do that a ton on this podcast. Uh, we would probably like to do it a little more, um, as challenging as it is because it can be hard to disagree with people. Uh, it can be hard to want to, uh, just be like, well, I don't, I don't look at like that at all. And then, and then still maintain a degree of, um, cool. You know, sometimes things can get heated when people start disagreeing. All that to say, I don't, see Andrew like that. I saw, I I really enjoyed this conversation with him. I I enjoyed uh, his ability to, uh, or his desire to want to have conversations with people regardless of where they're at, where they're coming from, just because he seems to care about people and and investing in, in thoughtful discourse. So um, this was a really fun conversation. 
I've been a big fan of Project 86 since I was a kid. That was one of the first bands that got me into heavy music. Um, so yeah, I think uh, I, I think you'll all really enjoy this, and hopefully we'll uh, be able to have Andrew on again in the not too distant future, and uh, get into some of the more nitty gritty. So uh, join our Discord if you want to hang out and shoot the shit with us. Uh, I've been talking about Spider Man Two, uh, the new spider-man 2 video game on playstation 5 that's what i've been putting my time into the past few days um also leave us a review we say it mostly every week maybe i should uh come out simping at the top of the episode i don't know how much this actually works um but please just leave us a review that's super helpful uh even a little written blurb love the podcast god hilarious lie if you want just oh it's the funniest thing i've ever heard in my life even if it's not oh real smart they say cool stuff just say good things give it five stars it's crazy helpful so helpful um we've been doing this for a few years uh or rolling up on a few years we've um obviously we've really grown our the audience since we started it uh and as two uh total dopes who connected at liberty university uh i think it's pretty fucking cool that um this is what it is our discord is what it is i think we have um a solid community that we've built through this that i really appreciate um and i'd love to see that expand um so please go on itunes click that five stars and just give a little tiny little baby blurb about why you like it um and without further ado Enjoy our conversation with Andrew Schwab. Everybody, we are back with our guest, Andrew Schwab. What's going on, Andrew? What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Dude, it's so fun. I've told the story a couple of times, but um, uh, when I was a, a wee lad, uh, but, a, but a teenager, um, probably like 15, um, I was a homeschooled boy with not a lot of uh, connection to the outside world. Um, and I learned of music that was started getting me like interested in heavier music from a couple of the cooler youth group kids, but I wasn't friends with them. So it was really like youth group trips where you were in the car for a long time. And maybe you'd like grab a couple of their CDs and check them out and like realize that there's cool music out there and not just like the cassette tapes that my parents had. So um, but we would get these magazines where you, my mom would get these like Christian magazines and you could just like, you know, do the CD online ordering thing. And, um, yeah, I just pulled like, uh, from memory, it was just like, I just went through it all and pulled like four, four bands that I, the only ones that I could conjure up from memory of, um, uh, from the, the magazine. And it was, uh, Emery, the week's end, uh, Dogwood. I forget which one it was. Um, I don't know if you uh are friendly with uh josh kemble um, yeah. yeah but uh yeah it's a his old punk band and um but project 86 uh songs to burn your bridges by was one of them i was like i recognized this tight the uh album art immediately as like something that i saw in one of the cool youth group kids uh sleep like cd sleeves so um he used to put on Spy Hunter and lock his door and then just stab the eyes out of people in the JCPenney catalog. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I, I sounds, would gut my stuffed animals as well. That I sounds healthy. Say. Yeah. <laughs> no, but that was, uh, so that, that was like a big, uh, that was, a, that was a big move for me into the, uh, the heavier music world. So the stabbing or the music, the music. And if it wasn't for that catchy ass <laughs> album art, man, 
that catch that album art uh, got me i was like i know i've seen that i'll order that and uh yeah that was it. Dude, set, that, set a trajectory for me that man. cover and layout was amazing shout to don clark don Gee, clark huh don clark yeah yeah still I, doing I album arts uh well i believe it's still him and ryan uh with invisible creature uh i don't know how much they're doing album packages i haven't really followed their trajectory in recent history i mean i've run into ryan every now and then through demon hunter <clears throat> we just mm. played uh furnace fest uh last two weeks ago yeah Saw ryan there said hi um didn't get to talking much but i'm assuming those guys are like designing the biggest of the biggest things in the universe because they're that good <laughs> uh that's what i would assume but i don't know um, I know that uh, each of those guys knocked out a couple layouts for us back in the day that were stellar. Nice. So that was one cool thing about being on the label that we were on is those guys were the art department. And Oh, uh, no way. They were fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of the, the I call it the final golden era of music <laughs> in general. Dude, it was uh, that that time period of music is a frequent uh, part of conversation around here. It was it. It kicked off something new uh, as well. I don't know. It, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to really explain exactly how much uh, it influenced the music industry. Uh, it was a crazy few years. Um, Furnace Fest, dude, that must have been. I I'm, I'm guarantee you my biggest regret in life is because I think next year is their last one. Um, yeah, apparently. Those, those are tough for me to make because. Um, I work in a school and that's like the start of the gotcha. school year and no one wants it. You can't take time off the right when the school yeah, year starts. The first week um, of school. Off. Yeah. Tell me. So I'm not able, I just can't make it. And uh, I think by the time they uh, end next year, it's going to be, that'll be one of the biggest regrets is uh, not making it out to one of those. That must've been a good time, huh? Yeah, it was amazing. Not to make you feel even worse, but it that's was okay. probably my favorite show, not just from a, you know the time that we were on stage standpoint but just the vibe of the the event from the uh, the venue itself it's at this place called the sloss furnace which has now become a national landmark uh it's an old iron smelting grounds and factory but it's pretty expansive it's still a really oh, cool. small festival in terms of the amount of area you know so it's pretty pretty uh tight there are three stages and i think about ten thousand people attend and that's insane everybody shows out to all of the bands because it's such a small little grounds uh there's really just room for the three stages the areas um you know the the food areas and such the merch areas and a little bit extra that's that's about it so it's it was perfect and the and the vibe is very familial so the people that attend are just so cool and just into all the bands everybody has their best show ever you know, and, you know, a lot of our friends and contemporaries played, of course, bands that yeah. we've seen or played with many, many times over the years. So it was it was great. And it's run like it's run the way. And Chad is smart. Chad's one of the one of the uh, founders or the I don't know if he's one of the founders, but he, he's one of the heads of the festival. He used to be an mm. ANR guy at Tooth and Nail and he's been doing Furnace Fest for some years. He also. I think was doing the record label come and live was the name of his label for many years. I don't know if they're still doing that or not, or he's still doing that. Anyways, the way that they run this thing is the way that I wish the like faith-based scene would have been approached my entire career. 
Oh yeah. And maybe that's a good springboard into the conversation, a deeper conversation, but it wasn't just like bands that came out of like the Christian market, but there were a lot of bands that came from that world, but there were also just, you know, bands from the scene or whatever. So like, yeah, you know, Hatebreed played and Turnstile played. And, you know, there were a lot of bands that, that wouldn't in any way, shape or form label themselves, you know, not that any of the bands really want to anyways, but um, (laughs) Christian per se. Uh, So it just had this vibe of like legit respect and it's all about the music. You know what I mean? Yet there were a ton of people there who I recognize and have seen over the years and come into like Cornerstone and things like that. But it was just, it didn't feel like it was a Christian thing because it wasn't, even though there were like a lot of faith-based bands there yep. or bands that have been known as faith-based bands. Faith, it seemed like the faith heavier bands took it bands. that direction. There we go. Did it. I did it. <laughs> yeah. It seemed like the it's heavier funny, bands kind of went first, that way. first kicked off, I was, I almost thought it was like a faith, like a, you know, a Christian kind of festival, like a resurgence of like the old Christian festivals, like your purple doors or your cornerstones. And it's like, uh, and then you kind of get a closer look at the lineup and you're like, no, it just shows you how many of these, like the most incredible bands with some fantastic longevity is, uh, oh, it looks like we lost Kate. Casey, are you with us? Sorry. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Cool. Uh, but yeah, bands with like all this longevity, it's like, they're still going after 10, 15, 20 years playing. It's like, so many came from that world. Yeah, um, there's been a lot of great music that's come out of that that whole scene. Yeah. Um, even before we jump into some of your story, uh, when I had uh, messaged you a little bit prior to this, and you were wondering what some of the things we were going to talk about is while we're talking about festivals, um, the only music festival I ever attended was uh, Purple Door. And okay. that was the year after you guys were no longer allowed to play it. At least that's my understanding. <laughs> we did come back. Uh, oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It wasn't a uh, lifetime five, band? No, like five or six years later, we ended up playing again, and it was it was really cool. Anyways, I, I didn't want to cut cool. you off. No, yeah. that's fine. At the time, uh, we were banned for life, for sure. Because <laughs> <laughs> my friend was at that show, and uh, for the listeners, uh, during your set, uh, it seems like you guys may have instigated a mud fight that might have caused some cost some uh money and damages yeah and and it definitely wasn't you guys (laughs) it was one guy (laughs) Uh, one 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 semi-foolish individual who shall remain nameless but yeah uh i'll tell you a funny funny story about that show really quick uh we were headlining the last day of that stage and it had been raining a lot so it was super muddy and the band before us was as i lay dying and they were just starting to blow up. Okay. And they had a huge crowd. And I was like, man, how are we going to follow this? You know what I mean? Would like, you say they killed? Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> they were amazing. And and you go up after that and you're just like, man, what are we going to do here? <laughs> so I'm up on the stage <laughs> the whole time just thinking about it as we're playing. I was like, we have to do something memorable. We have to do something memorable. And then I remember when I said that to the crowd, it was as if I was watching myself say that on stage. Like I was outside of my own body saying, did he just say that to the crowd? (laughs) Like right when the words escaped my mouth, I was like, I can't believe I just said that. Where did that come from? Like, I know I wanted to do something memorable, but what's about to happen here will definitely be memorable, but I don't know if it's what 
what we want. <laughs> yeah, wasn't exactly and so, intended. Yeah, I, basically what I said to the crowd was, you know, you guys are so polite for not throwing mud at me because I got them all throwing mud at each other. And then uh, I, okay. I, I egged them on. And then yeah, they all yeah. just were like, okay. And they just started throwing uh, everything at the stage and just destroyed <laughs> like thousands and thousands of dollars of equipment. We recovered oh from head to God. toe. And then I was like torn as, as it was happening. It's very like, I knew I was like, every person that is here right now, including us is going to remember this moment. Hell yeah. And that's exactly what I wanted. But at the same time, like this is going to get us kicked off the show and it's going to cause a lot of problems for us. Yeah. And <laughs> it, it wasn't as bad as I was imagining it might be when it was happening. Um, I was just rolling with it. But the other part of me was just like, man, this is really kind of like rock and roll, you know, yeah. at like a Christian festival. This is kind of upping the ante in a way that is like, is not the norm, you know? And I was kind of sure. proud of that in the moment, you know? And, and I, you know, I talked to a lot of people still to this day that remember that or who were there and it's always positive. And it's yeah. always like, dude, that would that definitely was the coolest, stand out. Most fun. Like we've ever had at a show. I cannot believe that. I'll never forget that. Blah blah blah. Did anybody get hurt, or was it just equipment no, and stuff? No, just gear. And we ended up paying for it in some form. I don't remember how. Oh, this oh, really? this is how it went. How it went. Uh, I think about five years went by, and then a new guy took over the festival, and he contacted us. And this was actually a cool move. Uh, on a number of levels. And he said, all right, we want to have you guys back. We think it'll be a big deal. We think everybody there will, will really turn out for your show and be excited about it. Uh, what we ask in return is you donate your guarantee to the sound company because we still work with them. And I said, okay, we can agree to that. And so and he cool, said, yeah, that is a cool way to go about it. And his name's and Chris Strayer. I haven't talked to him in years, but, and he said, what I want you to do is I want you to take the cash. I'm going to give you the cash and I want you to give it to the head of the production guy guy i was like oh yeah i would love to do that that'd be really cool so i walked <laughs> up to the guy and I ha- handed him, every day <laughs> handed him <laughs> an envelope of cash he looked at me i said hey man i just wanted to give this to you and and uh i don't remember what i said it was very brief and he looks at me and he just goes okay and that was it <laughs> no <laughs> anger no nothing it was the most benign like uneventful exchange of cash for such a thing ever uh that was his first dip into the insurance fraud pool actually yeah and then i remember he already got got paid out for it (laughs) he actually did um but i think there was like a deductible or something anyways purple door was only around a couple of years after that we played every year until the festival ended and i think the following year i was on the the program the cover of the event guide which i thought was a really cool like redemptive story or whatever it was fun because we, I mean, they were mad at us. Yeah. <laughs> After that, I don't doubt it. <laughs> oh, I can't imagine how pissed Not the us. sound guys. They're, like, they're mad at me having to clean, having to like clean off the stage and see what you can salvage. I am, I can imagine that definitely. Look, it ruins some people's nights, but also, who hasn't had a bad day at work? But thousands of people had a great time. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I think it's, uh, it was memorable. It was worth it. I wish it happened the year I was there instead of the year before, but. Uh, I just like the story, so it was fun. So, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, because I'm I was uh, I was doing a little bit of a deep dive on on some of your recent media stuff. I listened to a few episodes of your podcast and stuff today when I was driving around, and um, 
you know, you guys were sort of, I mean, for, for my generation, I mean, I got, I graduated in 2005 mm-hmm. and I feel like project 86 was kind of like the first heavy band that so many of us got into, you know, and uh, there's definitely like, I think everybody's kind of got a moment that came up through that and was like a Christian rock hit and stuff where somebody let them listen to like project 86 or demon hunter. And they're like, that just might, that might be too much for me. <laughs> and then you, you slowly like get to like it and love it, you know? And, um, but I'm curious cause that it seems like Christian music has changed a ton over the years. Obviously there's like all the ex-evangelical exit from Christianity that's, you know, happened especially to, I mean, give us a little, like, where did you start out? How did you end up, you know, a Christian? What was your, what was your upbringing like? Well, I was raised Catholic and I grew up in a very small town in uh, Western Pennsylvania, just North of Pittsburgh. By the time I reached high school, I was kind of over church, not really over God, but I didn't really connect church to God because when, when you're a kid and you're going to Catholic church, it's just all about doing. You know, you go to church mm-hmm. every Sunday, you go to Sunday school, you, you know, receive sacraments, you know, but it's very much segregated from like, at least from what I observed in many ways, segregated from, you know, <clears throat> what would you call it? A relationship with God that is personal, if that makes sense. I was going to say, it's you, a religion, not a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Even though like, I will say like, I... My my grandparents were some of the most like amazing people, and if they they and they were very real, they were like salt of the earth kind of people, you know, smoked and drank and you know, cussed and and such, but they were really genuine, awesome people, and everybody loved them. And if that if that wasn't genuine connection to Jesus, I don't know what is to this day, because they're they're still the best example I've ever seen of it, and they weren't they would not, you know, at face value look like, you know, the typical devout churchgoers. And yet they, they were, my grandmother was the one that taught me like how to pray and stuff. So, uh, fast forward high school, junior year, ended up in Southern California in Mission Viejo, uh, new kid at school. The first friend that I made or actually befriended me was like born again, Christian dude. I didn't know it. Uh, what sparked up, the move? Was it just a uh, whole family? Yeah. Yeah. Parents just nothing, something? nothing really interesting. Okay. Just, just moving across the country for job switching things purposes. Uh, basically got in with a group of born again, Christians, uh, guys who I re- related to enough, um, who were into enough similar stuff that, you know, it, it, it was, it was first like a social thing. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I wasn't really interested in becoming a Christian. These were just the guys I was friends with, you know, because they befriended me because I was the new kid at school. Eventually, they invited me to come to like a home Bible study. And I had never heard of that. At first, I thought it was pretty lame that they were giving up their Saturday <laughs> night to go to a home Bible study. Just sounded like, you know, nerdy, <laughs> dorky. Yeah. But finally, <laughs> finally. Got there and it was different than what I expected. It was it was definitely like there was an energy. Uh, there were a lot of people there, um, and it was peer led. So there was this element of oh, this isn't church. This is something else. You know that is actually unusual. A large number of peer, uh, people in a peer led Saturday night Bible study. I feel like yeah, I, it even was special. Someone who grew up in it and was like 
uh, I did Bible studies and would lead Bible studies in college. Like they were never big. Uh, and in high school, we just did our youth group stuff. That's, that's a very peculiar thing to have, uh, come about organically like that. And to be honest, it wasn't just like the nerdy kids. It was uh, everybody. It was lots of different kids from lots of different groups coming together for the same reason. You know, my group of friends were like, you know, the intelligent kids, the academic kids, the kids in the AP classes. That was my world and the athletes. You know, in high school, you know, I played a ton of sports and I I took all the advanced classes. So there were people there that I could relate to. And I ended up becoming a Christian at that first Bible study, just basically in the privacy of my own will. Uh, Everybody was singing and I was like, this is crazy. Everybody has their eyes closed and singing and it's like super cool. And I just closed my eyes and started to try to sing the songs, even though I didn't know the words and just prayed, God, if you're real. I want, I want to know you, you know, or if you're, if you're real, show me. And when I opened my eyes, I just felt like my whole world had changed. And so, you know, pretty simple. Uh, mm-hmm. And from there, you know, getting into music and such, you know, I was in Orange County and I ended up going to college and being in the same classroom with guys who were in bands. I ended up uh, tutoring them in math. And then they ended up inviting me to like their youth group to be like a volunteer small group leader and so it just so happened that the church i ended up at birthed a lot of it was very connected to that early like tooth and nail music scene and so okay. there were a bunch of bands that came out of that church uh my band and and a bunch of others uh any and, that we would know uh yeah uh a couple of members of the band unashamed uh okay uh basically the whole crew of the oc supertones um no way the church itself also used to host shows so like mxpx's first show in southern california was at that church um nice that's the movement i that was such a thing for churches and it's the best thing that happened to so many of us (laughs) so the weird thing was it was during a time when at least where i was it was almost cool to be a christian like i went to a pretty like hip church uh that was really connected to the music scene and so launching my music career out of that just kind of made sense i went to shows every weekend they weren't just christian shows but i definitely was around and in that early like tooth and nail solid state world a ton and that was sort of the world that my band came out of that's a real heavy area for like yeah all the diy hardcore stuff and everything too isn't it Uh uh-huh those were the shows that I was going to were, were the like straight edge and hardcore shows um, back in the early and mid nineties. Gotcha. So when you, uh, how'd you connect with, um, so you, I mean, you, you went to college, you connected with heavier music. Did you have any, ta- uh, did you, ha- was that your first introduction to, you know, uh, a more diverse style of music was, what was your interest in high school? Did they align with what you ended up being interested in at all? I mean, when I was in junior high, Oh, I can back up even further than that. When I was a kid, you know, I loved rock. And that's what I listened to. And that's what I was big, exposed to. Big Petra uh, guy, huh? No, 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 no. Again, I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't raised in the church. So it was it was Led Zeppelin. It was Queen. It was, you know, whatever was on, on the radio or whatever was cool. You know, I didn't know anything about the Christian music scene until I was going to shows as like a young adult. So I wasn't raised in it. And that's the difference between... 
I think my experience and then a lot of the people who ended up, you know, being attracted to my band is they were being presented my band as a part of this subculture that I didn't even fully grasp when I started my band. In fact, when I first became a Christian in high school, I was invited to a Christian bookstore and one of my friends showed me a bunch of like Christian metal and stuff. And I was like, this is the same. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't until I found a couple of bands and saw a couple shows with my own eyes that I liked. And I was like, oh, okay, you can do this in a legit way. Because I just thought the idea was dumb. You know what I mean? Like, like that's not, that's not authentic. It doesn't make you like the reason why people love extreme music is because it feels authentic. And it, it's like, almost rebellious and it's like oh my parents would want me to listen to this so i'm gonna listen to this when i when i was in early high school you know it was metallica it was slayer it was mm -hmm. you know what suicidal tendencies anthrax you know anything on that side of things that was the most extreme i liked and hip-hop i loved hip-hop that was my number one like genre of music uh and anything that was like angry or aggressive i love public enemy nwa like so that that spirit of that kind of music was already in me and then when i found it in a form that was palatable and reconcilable with my new newish worldview i was like oh hell yeah dude <laughs> you know i was like this i can do this i'm gonna do this this is gonna be rad and dude, it, that helped so much uh i had bought a uh this is before I started getting into heavy music and I was just trying to find any music to, you know, graft into my identity so I could be an individual uh, that had something that made me stand out. I don't know. You're just trying to figure out who you are. And uh, I thought yeah. maybe I uh, maybe I'm a Matchbox 20 guy and uh, I ordered a Matchbox 20 album online and returned mm -hmm. it because they said, God damn. So when I found heavy music <laughs> uh, where their lyrics aligned with my Christian values at the time, I was like, that that's it man i needed that so i hear exactly what you're saying from a guy who had to return a matchbox 20 album because it brushed up against my good christian values <laughs> now i never again bought into that though like i never like threw away my quote secular music and therefore i never thought of making music just for like christians and yet yeah yeah that's kind of what we signed up for in a weird roundabout way, sort of. Now, the cool thing about like the whole scene that we came up in and the label that we were a part of is like it kind of just appealed to the scene of like hardcore and indie rock and you know post hardcore and all that stuff. So there was mm. some overlap there, um, but there was still a lot of that. Like I'll never forget the first time we we left California. Because whenever we play Southern California, it, it, I don't think anyone cared that we came out of like the Christian scene. Like people would just show up. Like, like my brother's a little bit younger than me, and he would bring his whole half of his school of friends to our shows. And there'd be tons of kids there. It'd be packed out, like a really good mosh pit. And I, I know like most of those kids weren't like church kids. They were just coming to a show, right? But we get outside of California and we're booked to play at, you know, XYZ youth group. And you're like, what did we sign up for? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Or or like you're booked to play the like New Year's Eve youth rally, right? 
in your like background music for the for the sumo ring and the bouncy house. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I'm like, dude. I'm like, whoa! Well, that, you have the sticks over the foam pit where you have to like, yeah. Each other and like, we're playing, we're playing as like the background music for that. You know, and it's like, oh god, I'm, I'm like, dude, this is not right. This is not where we want to be. So eventually that changed. But when we first started out, you know, our first like handful of shows were pretty legit even though if it was it was still in that kind of more faith-based world in in socal orange county it was still kind of viewed as legit but everywhere else it kind of wasn't as much so like that was a a dilemma right off the bat when you're getting these youth group shows like um were these part of like tour packages that you were just like hey you're gonna play this or were these did you have to like make a conscious decision to like reject uh offers for these shows or did you kind of find yourself thrown like as after you found yourself kind of thrown into them like what was like the the pivot that you had okay so the pivot sort of happened naturally right because we still kind of believe there's a way to do this thing like be christian dudes and come from that and have lyrics that are kind of about that but still do it in a legit way like there was still that belief it was just we were brushing up with a lot of segments of like the church or the Christian culture, the Christian, whatever music world that didn't get that memo. You know what I'm saying? And so all you ever want as an artist is to be taken seriously. And that's probably one of my biggest, not regrets, but things I would have scrutinized a little bit more heavily early on is like, you have to control your perception a little bit when it comes to this stuff, because as soon as people label you a Christian band, they stop taking you seriously, you know? Yeah, that can happen. Uh, the pivot that happened is we actually got on some pretty legit tours that were still with bands that were coming from the same world. So our first real tour was with P.O.D. and Blindside. And those were oh, bands man. that were kind of coming from the same angle as we were. Yeah. Um, and also had a, a great following. Had their own. And you yeah. guys kind of probably all had different followings, but not different enough where, it, you know, the bill makes sense. But you can uh, expand your audience uh, through the dip the through the different audiences that each band would pull so yeah we were super thankful to be a part of that package and we just felt like it was the perfect timing for us because it was our first real national tour and you know to this day you know debt of gratitude to the guys in pod for taking us out um that was uh that was a big deal for us because of where we were at at the time and that you know there's 600 800 kids at those shows and it was more special, I think, than what we even realized when we were playing them, because it was the very front edge of something that was happening. You know, if not for that tour and that time and sort of this small movement of bands that came around during that time, you didn't get that next wave. You know, and that's not me taking credit for it. I, we were just fortunate. The timing, you know, you didn't get that next wave of of the Emerys, the Under Oaths, the Amberlins, the Norma Jeans, you know, because that was a few years right after that. You know, we're talking 99, 2000, 2001. That was when we we came out with self-titled Drawing Black Lines. You know, POD was starting to blow up. We signed to Atlantic. Blindside, great things happening. Switchfoot, you know, bands that were our peers were all doing stuff. And then you had this next wave of bands that said, okay, we were inspired by this wave of bands. We're going to take it one step further and make even cooler stuff. And, you know, these bands accomplished amazing things. You know, Under Oath, Norman, again, all the that that yeah. wave of bands um still going today and and inspired the next you know what i mean so it's like it's definitely a movement um and you know interwoven inside of that was i don't know that we ever figured out 
you know, how personal faith reconciles with being legit artists, because that's always the struggle. You know, that's always the fight. And you want to be cool. And being a Christian band becomes very uncool at a certain point. And so how does that affect your personal beliefs? Wait, like with the point at which you're on C-spot rock? Yeah, what is that? What, what, I've heard that. What is that? <laughs> we just always joke about these like Christian tours where it was like you oh, load a up tour, the youth right, group right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. You show up to like a gymnasium and there's seats. Everybody's got fold out chairs. And it's like, oh, dude, they put together these bills where it was like, um, you know, you'd have like Disciple on there, which we mm. were all there to see. But then you'd also have like uh, kind of a punk band and then a Christian rapper, and then like a praise band, and then somebody at some point gets up and gives a sermon or something yeah. like, this is, it's, there's almost something cool here. <laughs> You're just putting too much of a youth group twist yeah, on it. Yeah, and it's just meant to be like super safe and like appeal to as many of the families in the church to bring their kids as possible. And the youth group leaders bring their youth, entire youth groups, and like that's kind of the built-in marketing, right? And mm-hmm. It's, yeah those are the built-in guarantee those are uh, a built-in guarantee for everyone who yeah those are tough man <laughs> those are the things that you know as an artist you you love to be paid to play music uh and that's always the goal is to make a living doing what you want to do but how much are you going to compromise the legitimacy of what you're trying to do and that's always been a, a strange fine line that Again, getting back to that statement, that's always been the challenge. Um, and it's not something that I personally realized, I think, that we were signing up for, like, back in 1996 when the band started. That's so wild. 96, man. That, I'm always interested in how uh, notoriety and success is perceived from bands that really start. Like, you started before. You didn't have the internet to verify your following or mm-hmm. to an internet presence to be like, well, we have all these followers. We can maybe get 10% of them to show up to a show and a general, like you don't, you're the way you do that, the way you would do metrics and, and base your, where you tore on, like it was all so different. Like when did it start mm-hmm. feeling like, Oh, we're, we're not just, we're not just uh, being taken on, you know, like you said, POD took you guys out and that was like amazing. But when did you first start feeling like, Oh, we're, we're doing our own thing and, and attracting our own audience in a way that's going to make this like doable for us it, for the foreseeable future. Our first real headlining tour where we realized, okay, we've, we've come a long ways uh, was when we did our, it was our main headlining tour on our drawing black lines album. And, you know, when we're headlining and 800,000 kids are showing up, you know, that that's pretty cool. Yeah, that was really when cool. the when and how they find out about these shows with that like you know that's newspapers. It's like it's so different. It's not like you don't just yeah. get the alert on your phone that your favorite band is coming to town. No, you have no, to no. It was flyers. Follow them and, and do the work. Yeah, airplanes towed a fortune cookie ribbon. Yeah, <laughs> those were expensive. <laughs> Dude, I I'm curious because heavy music's like such a big umbrella, but. Mm-hmm. There's definitely like these segments of people who really get into like one style and they they're, you know, pretty particular about that. Um, you know, when I started getting into metal, 
is like 2005, you know, and it was all the like August Burns Red and Azalea Dying and all of those mm-hmm. bands, you know, very metalcore though, like riffs and breakdowns. And like, you guys have kind of a unique style and always sort of have that didn't ex- fit right into that mold. Was it? No. Was it difficult going on like touring with bands like that? Did you feel like pressure from crowds or anything? Like, was there ever, did it ever feel like, uh, hard to put together the right mix of bands and stuff for a tour you know it's interesting there was a very noticeable shift in music when when we released our second album we were kind of like the heaviest thing (laughs) or it was very heavy right uh and then there was a new wave of bands 2002 2003 and i remember we played the show with stretch armstrong and norma jean and this was not that long after I think Norma Jean became Norma Jean. They, prior to that, uh, there were a band called Ludacris that we would play with when we were in Atlanta. And they were kind of like, I don't know, like Deftones, Corn, like in that realm, you know, which was a, kind of where we sat, you know what I mean? Like on the heaviest edge of kind of new metal with a little bit of like hardcore, post-hardcore to it. Uh, and I remember playing that show i think it was in 2003 with stretch armstrong and norma jean when norma jean played i was like oh this is way more extreme than we you know and we were no longer like on the edge of that and i and ever since we did our third record project 86 became more of like a post hardcore rock thing mm-hmm. uh, and i remember so many tours and so many shows over the years where like we took out august burns, burns red on their first album oh, and nice. i remember watching them play I mean, like, I wish I wish we played stuff that was more aggressive uh, and feeling that way, you know, because like growing up, I was like, whatever's the craziest, gnarliest thing that's still good. I want to listen to, you know, and I was always that I always felt that way. You know, and when we started the band, it was that way. We were listening to like the heaviest stuff we could get our hands on, the most gnarly stuff. And, you know, it, we were on a major label they wanted radio singles and it made sense that we kind of on our third record evolved a little bit more in the rock direction. And then we just kind of stayed there. And then, you know, records, records, records. We made a lot of records, Um, you know, different, different guys come into the mix, come and go band members and such, but always kind of stayed in that like hard rock kind of realm. And then Mm -hmm. it's like, that's what we do. And I remember thinking every time I made a record, it was like, ah, I just wanted to do something heavier. I wanted to do something heavier. Uh, and then finally, this most recent record, it came time to do Omni, which we released part one back in March. We're releasing part two, uh, this, the first quarter of this next, um, year, 2024 double album is way heavier (laughs) and I'm finally heavier and I'm finally like, yes, where do you hear part two? Part two is heavier than part one. We actually have. Part two is two EPs. One's a little bit more, I guess, digital sounding, still real drums, but it's got a little bit more digital influences, I guess. And then we did one EP that's like, okay, I want to do Project 86 meets extreme heavy doom death, you know, and it came out really aggressive. And, and finally, I'm like, okay, now we're sitting where I feel like I'm supposed to finally 11 albums in. That's and, so funny, man. That yeah. it took that you feel that good about it after 11 like it, you know what's funny is i so as I, as much as a big fan i was i did i had a kind of a you know a falling out of of listening to some of the albums that were in like the mid 
I guess like early two, well, not mid to well, whatever, 2009, 12. But yeah. I remember being like, I just was wor- at work one day and I was like, something came up. A friend and I started texting about project 86 for some reason. I was like, you know, I'm going to check. I haven't checked out some of their music in a long time. And I, and I remember putting on sheep among wolves and was like, Oh, they've, I mean, even then it felt to me like you, your sound had evolved. Like you still had that same, that same niche and you have uh, such an iconic voice too, man. Like that's, I think one of the most incredible things you mentioned band member changes. Like, you have such an iconic voice, uh, and it's Man, thank you. <laughs> been consistent. It hasn't. Uh, some people lose it. You know, you listen to an album that came out twenty years after, like they're yeah. I've noticed that a, with they, a lot of artists, it. dude. Yeah, they and just they don't sound the same. And I'm I always thought consistent. that. Oh, I, thanks, man. And and as a music <laughs> fan, it's like you never. It's always disappointing, right? When you pick a band. And you fell in love with their first record, their second record, or whatever, something early career. And then they get to album six, seven, and they just go softer. You know what I mean? Because the dudes get older, and then they have kids, and then they you know, <laughs> they mellow out, and then they care more about mowing their lawn or like what you know what I'm saying? Like it's kind of a natural thing that happens. But as a music fan, you're always just like, ah, I just wish they would like do the thing do that had the power and the angst and the in the emotion and the passion or whatever and like everybody loses that yeah so i never wanted to be that guy but i'm just like listening to like the last few records and i love everything that we've made at, at and at the same time i'm the worst critic of everything that we've made and i'm always just like okay what's one regret i have is like i always wanted to be a more extreme band you know what i mean so finally we get to this record and i'm like screw it like i'm doing I'm, whatever it takes we're gonna do this and and I started singing a little bit more aggressively, which is what I had been doing live for the last decade. Uh, and it just came out. I finally felt like ah, it took me forever to figure it out. But I finally figured out how I'm supposed to sing. And it totally sounds it still sounds like me, but it sounds different at the same time. It's mm-hmm. just lower, more, more, I don't know, deathy, I guess. Yep. Well, OK, so on the Wikipedia page for Omni Part One. Uh, I noticed that there was a statement said, uh, the album is a radical departure from the band's established sound, with the style being that of modern metalcore and Andrew, Andrew Schaub employing death growls as opposed to his usual talk yelling. <laughs> that was like the funniest thing. You can always count on Wikipedia. Yeah, I don't read that page. You know, there was a point in time where I was like, everything on here is just dumb or wrong. I don't know who's doing this. If you're listening, bro, and it's it's a dude for sure, bro. Oh yeah, hit me up on something, and let's just powwow and work this out because it's so not good. So I don't even read it. This dude, anyways, this dude uh, has a demon hunter tattoo. I bet. I'll bet. Yeah, I'm picturing uh, him. I mean, he has dude, a demon hunter tattoo, and the he has demon hunter wrist cups. logo is amazing. So it's not surprising. It is really that a cool. lot of people get the the tattoo i i gave ryan a shout out at one point well, all right top three out. bands yeah that people get their tattoos from uh you know demon hunter being one of them uh the oh sleeper sign countless people have that on their yeah. uh on their body really? at this point oh yeah that's like the miss the star with the missing ones at the top it's like the three at the bottom or something like that it's supposed to be a pentagram with the horns broken Oh, okay. Ah. I actually never picked up on specifically what they were going for, but I have seen it 
uh, mostly through the internet on uh, a very common tattoo. Um, Dude, I, you I remember it, you uh, come up with it, you come up with old band logo and uh, it hits like that. I mean, that's it did. I would uh, never do something. I would never get a logo like that tattooed on myself. But I respect the shit out of people who generate something that takes off in such a way that. Uh, yeah, for sure. for sure. I remember there was a like the GameStop close to where I lived in high school. Uh, I would go in there and look around and stuff. And the, the cashier had like this oddball symbol. And I was so, so unplugged from like normal pop culture and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and that, not that this was even current at the time, but he had this <laughs> weird thing on his tattooed on his arm. And one day I was in there and he was probably giving me like 13 cents for 12 PlayStation two games. But mm-hmm. I was like, uh, Hey, what's the, what is that symbol on your, on your hand? And he's like, it's the oh, uh, Mudvayne logo. Sweet. And I, was like, I don't even know what that oh. is. Okay. I was like, do you, you big Mudvayne fan? And he's like, not really anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah. I just, the other one, you, I thought you were going to go in this direction. The other one that just occurred to me, that's like a lot of people do is the him logo. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah that's that was big. That, yep. I think of Alkaline Trio, like every Alkaline huh. Trio fan has their tattoo. I don't even recall what their uh what their it's like, logo it's is. like this weird horror heart thing. Okay. I'm gonna Google I'm, it. I'm holding <laughs> out for a lumpy Joe Rogan. Yeah. That's eventually going that right is. here. Find someone who it's uh all up in the realism and uh get the most authentic looking, sweaty foreheaded Joe Rogan you can get. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Joe I want Joe Rogan with the meat sweats. <laughs> That's what you ask for. Oh, so okay. Uh, we, we've name dropped a bunch of vans and stuff like that. And, uh, obviously there's, there's been a lot that's changed over the past 10 years here or so. And some of those, you know, iconic bands from back then that were kind of big within the Christian scene have sort of exited, you know, under oath being like probably the biggest example. Mm. Um, what has that been like for you? Because you're still pretty firmly planted in Christianity from what I've gathered. Correct me if I'm wrong, but... No, what, yeah, what is, definitely. What has that been like for you just being a part of that scene and then seeing people, you know, just go in different directions as they got older? Well, when we released Truthless Heroes, we made a very concerted effort, and I made a concerted effort to attempt to distance ourselves from, like, the Christian tag to the band and all that really served to do was to you know disillusion a lot of people that followed us um it was also sort of in parallel with you know me just i don't know how would i how would i say this going through a summer of darkness like just rebelling you know leaning into the whole rock and roll lifestyle uh and coming out on the other side of that not losing faith in any way shape or form but it was like you know it really it's very simple a lot of, I would say that everybody that gets into like making music in one shape or another wants to be cool. You know what I mean? That's kind of the ultimate goal. Is you you want to look cool when you're up there. You want to be perceived as cool. Uh, and I think it, all of these bands came up during a time where it was still sort of cool to come out of you know, like a faith-based scene. And then there was a point in time where I think it started to shift and it was like, okay, nobody thinks this is cool anymore, you know? Um, And 
it was almost like acceptable to like sort of bail on your faith or bail on the Christian scene or whatever. I, you know, me personally, like I never viewed myself as like only making music for this one scene of people or like that, like my allegiance or loyalty was not just to this thing, even though we kind of came up in it. As I explained, I don't think that I really understood what it meant when we were coming up, uh, signing to a certain label and out of tooth and nail and what that meant as far as basically pigeonholing myself and my band for the entire journey. Uh, and that only certain people were going to take us seriously, you know, even if we were on a major and all that stuff. I mean, we're, we're on a major. We so got, um, I mean, everybody, you know, bands and everybody in the industry was like, Oh yeah, you guys are that Christian band. Really? You listened to our record and that's what you got out of it. You didn't listen to our record, you know, because if you had, you wouldn't have said that, you know, and, and that's the battle that we chose, you know, after, after we realized, you know, oh, the battle we're actually fighting is to play a, play a role in attempting to say to the planet, you know, you can be honest about what you believe. And as long as you make quality stuff, some people are going to take you seriously. Maybe not as many as you had hoped. And the one thing that I would have done differently like i said is you know there are bands and there are contemporaries and friends of mine who are in bands that are successful and that aren't perceived that way just because they didn't sign to a tooth and nail records and didn't play the you know cornerstones and the purple doors you know what i mean if you do those things if you do those types of tours or you do those types of events or you sign to you know tooth and nail solid state you're going to be perceived as a christian band in some way shape or form you know mm -hmm. and it's going to limit you it's going to put a ceiling on on your opportunities in some form. Now, it's still possible to transcend that. Under Oath is an example. They transcended, you know, that. But they also, at, you just brought them up, reached a point where they said, okay, we're, we're not Christian. We're not Christians or whatever. I mean, I, I think As I Lay Dying did the same thing. And, you know, there were a ton of other bands that sort of came from that same era. It almost became like a, like a trend. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like, oh, okay, now this is what you do. You know, all these bands are doing this. Like, I've never wanted to make decisions just based upon like that idea. And I'm not, I'm not saying that the Azalea dying dudes or under earth dudes are doing that because it's trendy or anything, but I'm just saying it became a pattern with a lot of bands kind of all yeah. coming out at the same time. You know what, what I mean? You, what do you think of this? Um, cause I'm curious. Cause you mentioned, you know, wanting to make honest qual like quality and honesty kind of need to go hand in hand. Yeah. And I'm wondering if like, you know, a lot of these people did pigeonhole themselves into that market and mm -hmm. perhaps they were dishonest for a significant period of time and that some people opened the floodgates for honesty to be able to like come out of that market and say, look, that's just not who we are anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and that, you know, you see that someone goes, oh my God, if Under Oath did it, then maybe we can drop the facade too. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. And I wonder if there was a lot of that too. That I mean, it, you could still call that setting a trend, but more like a trend of authenticity for people who have been harboring inauthenticity for maybe a little bit of time with their records. Well, the problem is, why do you have to be inauthentic to begin with? Like, what, what, what's creating that? Well, the Christian, I mean, the Christian music market did for a lot of people, right? Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised and, and, if a lot of these guys changed, you know? 
I would yeah. I would say that that's probably the more likely scenario is that they changed over time and you know maybe eventually it warranted like a a you know a, a clearly worded statement of where they are now you know well and I guess what I'm trying to communicate is in 2002 when we were on a major and everything about our career was like let's sell a million records on a major label to the mainstream audience right we were definitely at that same point where it was like, yeah, let I mean, we need to get away from this, you know, cheesy thing that feels inauthentic to us as well. And I think every band sort of comes to that conclusion. If you're trying to go about it in a semi legit way, look, if it's okay with you, you know, in your conscience and as a creative to play for youth groups and to, you know, for us, the experience was we didn't like being the background band at the sumo pit yeah, ball bouncing totally house fair. thing. You know what I'm saying? Like that just didn't fit anything that we wanted to do or be. It wasn't what we came up in. It's not what we found cool, you know, and it, it, none of the bands that we loved were from that, you know. Mercy me. Yeah, I just didn't even, I've never understood it. I've never really been a part of it, to be honest. As much as like I'm associated with like Christian, whatever, Christian rock, like. You have to understand, like we would go and we'd play XYZ event, but I didn't I didn't stick around and like watch most of the stuff. Like I was always like, all right, can we get on like a real tour now? Like that was what we were always fighting on. Sorry, I pulled out my cable here. Getting really excited over here. Um <laughs> the 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 disconnect for me though was like I never like there's a difference between your personal beliefs and how your band is marketed. And yeah, those totally, two things man. can be totally different thing. They should, I would say they should be totally, or if you want them to be, they should be totally different things. Yeah. And at the same time though, you want to stay true. Like when we started, like that's what we were passionate about. You know what I mean? Was like our faith. And we're also really passionate yeah. about bands like Sepultura and Deftones and, you know, whatever was the most extreme heavy music that was the legit heavy music, not the Christian. We liked the Christian stuff too, if it was good, you know, but it was like mostly these bands, you know what I mean? Um, and I don't know that that ever changed. Um, so for me, getting back to the whole idea of like the connection between how your band is marketed and your personal faith, I've always viewed those as like, they can be separate, you know? So for me, yeah, like I'm not like, an ex-evangelical or anything like that. I've never really considered myself to be an evangelical either. I'm just a Christian. So I've, yeah, if anything, my, my personal faith or belief is a lot more real and legit at this stage of my life than it was 20, 25 years ago. Um, uh, but I would say that the music, the band is making now is a lot more extreme and dark, you know, um, than the older stuff. Mm -hmm. So, I, I think I think where there's like where you see a challenge for people in, in bands is like obviously the the person who's writing the lyrics is going to set the tone for a band of five people. Right. So it's like, well, I listen to these lyrics. and I'm going to make these assumptions about everybody in it. And I think I, I bet that just became challenging, too, for plenty of bands where it's like it's a it, as time goes on, the you know, a lot of people who don't have a voice in it are being um tethered to something that maybe they don't subscribe to anymore and mm. a lot of them are probably fine with it because they're in a band that they love with people that they love making the music that they love so it's like you know it, it kind of is it turns in like a golden handcuffs kind of thing where you're like the 
the avenue by which we were able to find the success that we did is now something that feel now that we are shifting and or that if one person shifts it now it kind of like uh it kind of sets a little mini earthquake or could where you're just like well maybe the what if the vocalist is the only one that changed his mind and you're still in and he's writing the lyrics and you're still in a band with four devout christians and they're like what are we supposed to do with this now like there is a challenge to uh you know finding your way into that world as teenagers and and then becoming full-grown adults who had different life experiences and have made different choices and through those have a different set of beliefs that now need to like create a cohesive message uh, or that people are going to perceive the band as having a cohesive message. And, and then you also know what that meant to so many of the listeners too. You're like, I know how much the music meant to those people. And it does feel like a, you know, I'm sure it could even feel like a betrayal to your fans to even be authentic, knowing that that would hurt them uh, to some degree. It, It adds so much to the mix that it is certainly hard i i would imagine for everyone to process when they're on different pages i think the disconnect for me uh is that i did not grow up Mm -hmm. in a youth group i did not grow up um with parents who only let me listen to christian music you know i didn't grow up in a world where solid state tooth and nail um was the only thing i was allowed to listen to you know what i mean I didn't yeah. grow up in any of that stuff. I came to that when I was an adult and I came to it as a, as a youth leader and as someone who's already, you know, 18, 20 years old, young adult. Uh, it was like, I was, I was on the outside looking in, you know, or, or, or I was a visitor, you know what I mean? So I can't even speak to the experience of this entire generation of people who came up in that sort of thing because i think the conclusions Mm -hmm. the very consistent conclusions that a lot of those folks have been coming to in the last like decade plus um are based upon a collective shared experience in that world and and it's a world that comes with a lot of problematic things um that in my opinion are periphery you know but are, are very real at the same time periphery in terms of like actual faith you know I'm dancing around it. What I'm saying is my experience with the like evangelical world um, Mm -hmm. is that there's a lot of distraction um, and there's a lot of, there are a lot of things inside of that culture that really um, create baggage with people. um, And really it's very easy to come to the conclusion that like, if you're just an alien visiting that a church, an evangelical church or a mega church, it's very, very easy to come to the conclusion like, wow, this is really weird and seems kind of, inauthentic you know not to say that every single person there is but i think the model of the culture there's a disconnect there that has left a lot of people disillusioned and i'm really thankful that i didn't grow up in that now i grew up in a totally different thing and i could poke holes in my experience right like i Mm -hmm. have for many decades you know in the catholic church you know i don't call myself a catholic but i have a lot of catholic friends um my family's still catholic um you know, I, there are things that I respect about it. There are things that I respect about the evangelical experience too. Um, I've just been able to like be in a position where I can, you know, have the best of sort of those things along the way with not being too scarred yeah, by yeah. it, I guess, because I didn't have parents that were like, you know, taking my music away. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It makes a ton of sense, you know, and that's part of the conundrum. I think that like we're talking about these bands finding themselves in is that, it's 
it, it was a it was a problem because Christian music was supposed to be like like it was a lot of people viewed it as this parallel institution, you know. We always talk about like the oh hey, if you like Limb Biscuit, try POD, you know. Yeah, and we like always obviously hated that. Stuff. We yeah. hated that. <laughs> like why? Why? We would walk into a, a like a store, you know, or we'd do some signing or or, or whatever. And it was always like, you know, the kid in line would come up and say, you know, you know, I got rid of my, you know, corn record and I, you know, my parents showed me yours. And I'm like, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be so weird. Uh, yeah, because like that was I, it was like these things are safe. You can have these and these yeah. are like a, a you know. Uh, a safe little way for you to like develop some sort of identity for yourself and stuff. But like, you can't venture outside of these because those things are dangerous. Yeah. And then when we didn't believe that, we didn't believe that, but we were being associated with that philosophy at the same time. That's what I'm saying. We didn't know what we were, we were signing up for because like you start catching wind of that and you start realizing, Oh, nobody takes this seriously. You know what I mean? And like, it's because we're associated with this thing. And you'd think that was obvious, but it's not when you're 18, 20 years old, you know, and you're just, you just want to play, man. You know, yeah. I love the band, you know, pick a band, you know, I love the MXPX or I love focused or pick a band. It's like, I just want to do that. I want to be up there. I want to play for four or 500 kids in a room. I want them to mosh. I want to buy our t-shirts and I want to do that. And that's, that's it. And then you realize there's all this other stuff, you know, that comes along with it in terms of your perception, because, Rock and roll is about perception at the end of the day. That's, that's the, that's the currency. Now you guys are still with tooth and nail, right? No, we haven't, we haven't, okay. been, we haven't been on tooth and nail for over a decade. Sorry, my bad. Yeah, no, um, it's okay. Uh, so More you than still that, feel like, like 15 years. Oh, has it been that long? Yeah. It's funny. I don't know something about the way you, my bad on that. Um, but yeah, it sounds like, so you still feel like you are kind of carrying uh, the Christian label just from the tooth and nail days still? I, I think that's how most people remember us, know us, perceive us or whatever. I honestly don't even think about it or care. Okay. I, I just want to make art and music that people connect with. And uh, yeah. we've been fortunate enough to have a really loyal group of people that support this band. And so, you know, what I've been able to work on the last couple of years, a double album, a book, you know, all this animated content that it, we're working on a film, like it all fits together. And, you know, I'm making all the stuff that I've always wanted to make that I never did. Either I wasn't able to, or the technology didn't exist or the budget didn't exist or whatever. Now I'm doing all, you know, I want heavier record, double album, animated content, fiction book that goes along with the album. Um, and I feel like it, this is uh, what every artist says, but it's actually been a con like almost a consensus among the people that have listened to the record is this music album 11, which isn't in my opinion, strictly a project record, it's something new um, is the best stuff that I've ever made. And it's, it's the darkest and the heaviest and I think the most timely. So it's weird. It's very weird. Um, you know, you talk about all these artists that, you know, get softer over time. You know, it's really fun to be able to make, you know, this 27 years into my career, the most aggressive stuff by far that we've ever done. So it's cool. That's my, you know, I got to plug a few things here. Oh, oh heck yes. Yeah. 
That's very important. Hey, you want to shed again, that that whole thing immediately in your animated stuff? Put a really graphic sex scene in there. <laughs> I just Gotta don't do it. I don't know that that fits what we do very well. <laughs> you got all these conditions. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of violence though, for sure. Um, uh, definitely purposeful. I'm not a big like um, gore or horror fan per se, uh, but I am definitely for whatever is the most powerful way to send the message that you're trying to send in such a way that is not like distracting the audience. You know, I like. I think that's such a good way to put it. Uh, because if you you can you can have a good point and move into distracting with uh, you know optics. Maybe your horror movie has a good point and it just kind of gets enveloped with uh a little a little over the top or something i think you just said that in such a good concise way to get your art across i appreciate that yeah it's always it's always a fine line of why are you doing what you were doing and why are you presenting it that way and how will this be you know taken or perceived you know a lot of thought on a daily basis goes into that you know because i've been working on this this book for that goes along with the album for as long as I've been working on the album and just making decisions about characters and plot and takeaways. There's a lot that goes into it. It's been really fun to work on that. It's been really fun to work on a double album and uh, release, you know, 23 songs that, that all fit together in one sort of universe. Um, yeah. I can't wait for people to, to grab, you know, you can listen to Omni part one on any streaming platform. And uh, Omni Part 2 uh, will be dropping in February. Okay. I was listening to an interview where you were explaining kind of the concept behind the album, and I'm assuming the book sort of spells, it it's extrapolates upon that. Yeah, yeah. Kind of a, it expands on it, basically. Sort of a dystopian, cyberpunk yeah, as much as that, sort of... as much as those words seem to be almost overused because we are now living in a dystopian <laughs> world in some respects, but yes, uh, I wanted to do a piece of work that tied together a lot of the pieces of media that I've loved over the years, whether it's books or films or shows, whatever. And I wanted it to be set in a near future, but inevitably it would be a little bit sci-fi, a little bit cyberpunk, a little bit dystopian, a little bit horror. So where those four circles intersect basically. And then I wanted to try to create, an immersive experience for people try to do something a little bit different that takes you a little bit deeper into what we're creating. Right. So there are elements of world building that come into play here. So you write, first we wrote, you know, the music it's meant to be part one of this double album is meant to be, it's basically a score uh, and it feels more cinematic, but I wanted to be careful not to fall into that trapping of the concept record where it's like most bands, when they try to do the concept record, it it ends up the music not is not as good for some reason i don't know why that, that ends up being that way but um there are a few uh exceptions to that but a lot of times when people think of that idea it's like oh you know the the story takes precedent over the quality of the music or something i definitely wanted to avoid that uh still a song centric record with just cinematic moments basically and so the lyrics take you, you know, through a journey and through a narrative. And then I wanted to write 
a piece of fiction that goes along with that so that you could, you know, read the lyrics and then take what the lyrics are saying and basically expand on that, but have consistency between the two and then have a visual narrative that goes along with all of those or those two pieces. So three pieces, you have a visual narrative and then you have a you know, written narrative and then you have the music as well and it all fits together. So still not done with it, but the hope is once this is done, you have like a world that's been constructed that you can disappear into and our fans, our Patreon community even created an alternate reality game that, that uh, takes you a little, little bit further even. Basically, I don't want to spoil it, but basically what happens is you go to this website it's omnicorp.one, O-N-E. And you have to take an employee quiz. Like, basically, you're applying for a job with the Omni Corporation. Um, and if you answer the questions correctly, you get hired by the company. And then you enter into this space where you interact with other employees and uh, characters. And uh, it's it's just another part of the world. That's awesome. Basically. That's sweet. There are puzzles and games and things that sort of tie into the real world. Um, and it's all created by like the fans, basically. That's incredible, um, man. Yeah. So that's been, um, yeah, I've just been totally immersed in creating this thing. And I've really approached it like I'm writing a a film and a book, you know what I mean? So what are the rules of this world, this fictitious world that's based on the real world? What is, what does the world look like in 20 years? You know, if, and it's all, it's all based upon the idea that technology progresses to a point in civilization to where mankind is offered a choice, um, uh, by this one big tech company that basically becomes, uh, in control of everything, uh, a choice that as to whether very realistic. No, no, no. Uh, all of humanity is offered a choice as to whether or not they want to um, uh, take part in this application that offers everyone uh, life eternally, basically in a metaverse. Um, and, and so the idea of a big tech company inventing something, an application that cures death, you know, what would that look like? what would be the ramifications for each of us? And if we were faced with that decision, what would each of us choose? Um, and there's a lot more that goes into it because there are some very nefarious elements to this whole choice. And the main character is a, uh, basically starts out as a social media influencer and he becomes kind of like the main voice of media on the one social platform that is the hub for all information under the banner of this tech company. And he has come out of a sort of tr traditional family environment, very much similar to all the folks that we've been talking about who've been raised up in this world. And he sort of became disillusioned with all of these things and then, you know, became hook, line and sinker involved at, you know, and becoming the almost like a propaganda piece for this big tech company that has very uh, bad intentions uh, with the populace. And he, his character goes throughout uh, the story um, trying to negotiate the tension between the world and the worldview that he was raised with and the world and the worldview that is emerging. And so he sort of represents, you know, not just, I, I, I didn't mean for it to come off as people that were just raised like in Christianity, but more people right. that were raised um, in a certain time um, 
and really people that are under a certain age now that are being raised within having a smartphone, uh, living their lives through yeah, screens, yeah. you know, and applications and seeing AI come to the forefront of our lives before our very eyes, you know, so there's a lot more to it, but, but that, that's the premise. That's awesome, man. Dude, I love how big it is. I had no idea that, uh, it's such an expansive thing. It sounds like you've been, uh, you've been probably the busiest you've been. Oh in yeah. Your career at this point. Yeah, 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 definitely. It's, it's been pretty overwhelming in a good way and uh still going so it's been really exciting because like this has always been my dream is to do all of this type of content when i was younger it just wasn't it was possible but it's a lot more possible because there's more tools available the irony is like some writing the story about artificial intelligence and now artificial intelligence and all these technological tools are available to execute a lot of the pieces excuse me of the content that that I'm creating. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. It's uh it's funny that how uh you know the it's like a the fountain of youth is like a age-old story but with like uh technology, alternate realities, metaverses. It's like it's funny to think of how like that's that idea for people is like always been there and it's just kind of re- always thinking about it from a different perspective now. It's like, well, no, like you're not a vampire who lives for a thousand years, right. but like eventually is all they're going to be, uh, is online presence. And what's that going to look like? And that's kind of what we're talking about now. I like how that's how you incorporate that in your story. I, I, I love how, um, I love how down the rabbit hole it goes and how expansive it is. I'm really, really excited to see, uh, more of it. And then re-listen to, uh, re-listen to Omni with, with all that in mind. Cause I just kind of, I listened to it uh you know without knowing all that background so i I, it's gonna be i'm looking forward to throwing it on again yeah we will uh we'll be releasing um a double vinyl and uh the vinyl comes uh, the box set of the vinyl we have three different variants of it and just finishing this up right now the box set of the vinyl has a booklet in there that has the first chapter of the book in it oh nice and so it's like okay this is what we're talking about and you can get a, a sample of it and i'm hoping that that kind of teases it for people and and want you know it's really meant like hopefully you can just appreciate the music you know but if you if you like it enough to want to dig into it more because i was i'm always approaching things as a music fan you know what i'm saying like bands that i like if there's a record that i really love i want to know more about it you know what i mean i want to i want to understand the lyrics but i also want to understand like you know the world building that went into those lyrics and the influence and, and just re interview or whatever whatever pieces of media I can get my hands on to take me further into this thing that I love, I want to get my hands on that. So as a creator, I'm like, okay, I know that there are people out here that will dig this stuff. How can I give them more to dig into to make it a deeper, richer experience kind of thing? That's what makes me it's kind of like the way like of this. The future. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I do like the idea of uploading my consciousness, you know for other people's benefit mostly. So like <laughs> future generations, like every time they think they're having a nice dinner somewhere, like a little recorded message of me pops in and it's like, you know, the federal reserve's not federal at all. Right. <laughs> <laughs> He's always been a philanthropist and he does view himself as such. Yeah. Love it. You guys know anything about the gold standard? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, I I wanted to take a couple of seconds here uh, and and hard pivot a little bit, but 
I listened to some of your podcasts. I listened to several episodes today while I was driving. Is your podcast is it still going? Are you guys putting out planning new episodes or? So I have two Patreon communities. Uh, one for Pioneers, which is probably what you listen to. That was a few years back. Ceasefire uh, is the one that I listen. Okay, to. so Ceasefire uh, is the third one that I was doing with Lucas, uh, who has a huge gaming channel that he does on YouTube uh, called Reforge Gaming. And we basically just wanted to create a show and do 20 or so episodes and then see how we felt about it that was like politically moderate. So we wanted to try to come at it from a perspective of like realizing that there is some intentional like inflammation going on from the media and from those in power trying to literally get people pit people against one another and divide them further and further and further. So kind of speaking into that whole thing, um, ceasefire. Yeah. We did about 20, 20 or so episodes just on a variety of topics, um, trying to approach things, um, from a more balanced perspective, we felt like than like the ultra right or the ultra left. Uh, and then I have a, a, a podcast that is still going, but just primarily on Patreon called Pioneers that I started about five years ago that was just uh, basically meant to look at creative process. How do, how do records get made? How do books get made? How do films get made? You know, and talk to different people who come from uh, different walks of the creative uh, spectrum uh, world and, and interview them and also tell stories about things that I've made along the way, albums and songs and books and such, and just let people see behind the curtain a little bit more about all that goes into to that. And then I have a third one that's the primary one that I do that's uh, it's just called Pale Riders, and that's exclusively on Patreon, but that's the Project 86 community. And it was started... Yeah. Pale Riders. Yeah, it's a, one of our songs um, from a couple records ago. Uh it's basically just looking at everything that's gone into making and is, is going into making uh, Omni. Um, so there's a lot to it. And I share like demos and book excerpts and, and every th- interview, every person that's touched everything that I'm working on right now. I've got this huge team of awesome people who've worked on a lot of pieces of this puzzle and uh, it's still going. Those people have been incredibly supportive. So yeah, I do a lot of, a lot of podcasting and I guess, uh, a lot of That's other a things lot of as podcasts. well. Yeah, a lot of other things as well. So, you know, you and you being a little bit older than us and coming from like sort of a unique perspective where you came into the church a little later in life and stuff and and felt a little of that like outside looking in. Um, you know, I I feel like in the same way that like technology is a big part of like, you know, our generation's story and uh, you know, growing up and things like that. Like, I think the, the war on terror is definitely like, I feel like we're all kind of children of the war on terror. I mean, that sure. really engulfed like a huge portion of our lives. Yeah. The world changed in 2001. Yeah. It's absolutely. never been the same yeah, since. Yeah. So it's been, you know, we kind of been along for the ride as like Christianity had to deal with, you know, its attitudes towards war and towards violence and, and that's shifted a lot. I mean, because every, I mean, Christianity or not, everybody's shifted a lot on that over the years. But, uh, you know, in the past few days here, we've had like violence break out in Israel. Oh, no. gosh. What, what do you, what, do you, how do you, without, I, I don't know how to put this without making just this broad question, but like, how do you, how do you feel like 
Christians should look at and relate to war and violence? Gosh, that's a hard, hard question because it's so big. Um, yeah. And you have In to understand. 200 words or less, please. My dad is, <laughs> is a Vietnam War veteran. So I grew up in a household with a dude who was very much traumatized from his war experience. You know, so I was always very critical growing up of like the military and, you know, we didn't really talk about it. I was just visiting him last week and he was opening up to me about all that he's dealt with after being in Vietnam Oof. and just like, telling me things that I didn't even, we never talked about. I'm, you know, long since being an adult now. So like, he's just telling me all this stuff. And I was like, geez, uh, I would say when I was younger, I always had this very critical view of like the military and of that whole experience. And what I was going to say is my dad would always joke with me growing up. I was like, well, when you get in the Marines, they're not going to let you get, get away with that. And just sticking it in the back of my head, I never said this to him, but I just sticking it in the back of my head. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, one, it doesn't fit my personality, my skill set, my anything. Uh, but two, like, you know, for so much of my life, you know, I grew up in a household with, you know, seeing what that did to someone and like being like, surely we could have avoided that, right? That engagement specifically. That's a whole nother discussion. Um, it's hard to answer like, how do you feel about war and violence? Um, what is the proper Christian response? Um, well, maybe I, I guess just forget the proper Christian response part and like, what, how do, how do you view that as a, a, you know, a guy. I mean, at, I feel like stage of life. war is war and discord among human beings is inevitable because human beings are selfish. My opinion. Uh, so I, I'm not. I think I'm history a, backs that opinion yeah, up pretty well. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I don't think it's ever something that can be gotten rid of, and I don't think that it's even possible to even base anything on that idea. Um, gosh, like. I don't even, there's so many different thoughts going through my head. I don't even know where to begin. It's, it's, I, I view war as different than violence. Right. And, and I don't view war as like murder, you know, because uh, since the ancient world, since human beings were on the earth, there was always dispute over land, dispute over governing a dispute over that. And that's just going to be, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, I mean, you asked me personally, at which point, like, would I take up arms against something? You know, would I, you know, I own guns, you know what I mean? I don't shoot them very often. I shot guns last week. My, my dad's like a hunter, fisher, you know, he's, he's, he, I just come from that world. So I grew up around, you know, firearms and such, you know, but I was also taught to like, you, be careful with them and to use, use, not them, bring them to school. Use them wise. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's one thing that I do have an opinion on. It's like, I don't. Like I grew up around a lot of people that owned guns. I was never around anyone that any one single piece of gun violence in my life, not even a hunting accident because people I was taught and my friends were taught like the proper respect for a weapon and how, when, when the proper context is to use it. And when you hold it, you point it down. You know what I mean? You know, you only, you know, uh, take the safety off when you're ready to fire. You know what I'm saying? Like, just mm -hmm. I took classes yeah, yeah. when I was of age on how to respect firearms. And I'm of the opinion that, you know, it's not the guns that are the problem, just like it isn't the cars that are the problem with drunk driving. You know, it isn't even the alcohol. It's that's the problem. It's the people. That's the problem. So it's the people that are the problem with with war as well. And I don't know how you 
get rid of the people problem without getting rid of all the people. You know what I mean? I'm not saying I'm an addict. Which we may try to do at some point. You never know. Well, yeah. I mean, there, there are <laughs> things in the works. We're shifting in that direction when it comes to a uh, mass scale uh, obliteration of humans. Yeah. More. So, so we'll see. I mean, what's my, what's my response <laughs> to the Israeli conflict? Uh, I don't even know if you're asking that, but like, I feel like one side is fighting for their right to exist and the other is fighting to eradicate the other side. You know, that's kind of been the historical battle. You know what I mean? For Israel's right to exist. Um, it's hard not to see it that way. But I don't know if this is answering any questions. I'm kind of just dancing around. <laughs> He's, he dropped a pretty big bomb on you. Uh, yeah. yeah. At the end of the episode, we could have filled the entire episode <laughs> with that easily. Like two hours worth of content. Maybe you guys, you have to have me on again and we could do like part two and we'll talk about that. Yeah, I'd be up for that. Definitely be up for that. <laughs> I was thinking like halfway through, I'm like, I'm not sure what I was asking at this point. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, likewise, I don't even know how to tackle that. Um, I, I, I think, I think war and, and violence and like, if we're talking about like person to person violence, it's almost like separate topics. You know what I mean? Sure, even though yeah, violence is it, involved in war for sure, because it's a violent, uh, it's a violent clash of ideologies and peoples, um, usually. Um, yeah, um, maybe we have to maybe we have to use that as a teaser. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think um, I don't know. I was just you know listening to your show, and and I mean, you know, I think I get the idea of what you guys were were working towards was like, hey, let's just have a calm discussion about this without like the incentives to dial it up. That, yeah, that yeah. Extreme, it, yeah. The whole theory there is like, remember a, a time not that long ago when it was okay to disagree with another person? Re remember a time when, you know, if you expressed something honestly, you didn't get canceled? <laughs> you I know mean, what I mean? Unless you were against the war on terror. <laughs> right. And and that's when things started to change, you know? Here's a, here's and they've just started question. to ramp up. Recently. I got the impression from listening to your show that you feel people have changed in a significant way over the past several decades. I mean, do you, is, do you believe that to be true? Do you think that we're drifting towards some sort of, um, you know, I, I, I think uh, you kind of described it as like, well, people have decoupled themselves from truth. And now part of the reason for the partisanship in the country is because we're adrift and unmoored from this, like, central you know anchor point of truth that people used to all have a, a pivot foot on yeah i mean i think that you know when we're talking about a nation okay so we're talking about america here and and this is the point i i tried to bring it back to on ceasefire was that we have to have a few agreed upon things that we all sort of cling to um and i'm a, an advocate for critical thinking probably more so than most. And I think it's very easy to poke holes in like, you know, the fact that the founding fathers, you know, that slavery was prevalent around that. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. Okay. That's a very obvious thing to poke holes in. You know, n n there's no one that can agree that will say that that was a good thing, but it was also just the time of the world that we're talking about. You know, this is hundreds of years ago. So, I think in order to have a nation that 
lasts, you have to have certain agreed upon things, you know? Um, and it's amazing to me that, that these things have become so politically charged and weaponized. Like you got to have borders. You, you have to have a border. You have to have prerequisites for people to come into your country or otherwise it's just chaos and lawlessness. Um, you have to have an agreed upon, you know, set of rules to, to do certain things. Like you have to be a certain age to drive a car. You have to be, you know, it, go on and on in line. You have to have just like agreed upon things that comprise your society, right? And we've become so fractured about all of those things now that it's like we don't, we have two separate countries, you know, existing in one country. And it's like, how are we supposed to move forward without lo all losing if we don't agree upon what we're agreeing upon anymore, right? <laughs> I don't know if I agree with you on the problem so, is we I, don't have enough time now to like thoroughly <laughs> explore I know, the discussion. I know. <laughs> um, we do. We need to we need to I would come be back totally to willing to come back on and, and discuss all this though. Okay. Well we could use a moderate because uh Casey and I don't see eye to eye, so we're used to that. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's okay to not see eye to eye. That was the, that was the whole point of ceasefires. Like it it, it is okay to disagree. Yeah. And still be friends. It's okay to disagree and still be neighbors. It's okay to disagree. You know, one person can vote for one candidate and another person can vote for another candidate. That's kind of what makes our country what it is. And yet we still agree to disagree and we still agree to be okay with one another. That was, that was why we wanted to start ceasefire. Was like, right. who cares what our opinions are? Let's model a way to discuss differing opinions in such a way that like we're not at each other's throats. We don't hate each other. Mm -hmm. We're not trying Sam to and I are other. kind of a model for that in some ways because you know, like Sam doesn't believe in the Holocaust, and to I me, that's ridiculous. Something awesome like that. See, you, you guys know, are bringing up all of these like massive things that I would love to talk about right now, but it's <laughs> going to take very... it's going to take hours to delve into this. <laughs> that's his, his, now your takeaway is going to be that I don't believe in the Holocaust, and that is emphatically not true. Please, it's, it's two against one now, Sam. God damn it! I hate you so much. <laughs> Uh yeah. Uh, uh yeah, I'm sorry I dropped the such a big bomb. We should talk about that here. though. That that would be an amazing topic cuz I I have a lot to share on that one specifically. Now after dropping such a big bomb, you and America have a lot in common now, Casey. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, uh Andrew Thanks for joining us, man. Hey, really appreciate yeah, the pleasure was all mine, us. guys. And yeah, I'm serious. We can totally do it again if you guys want to. We can talk about uh, disagreeing. We could talk about, uh, you know, the stuff I brought up about America. We could talk about uh, the Holocaust. We can talk about any of those things. Anytime, <laughs> man. Hit me up. Uh, dude, absolutely. It would be a pleasure to have you have you back on the show. Thanks again, man. This was a lot of fun. Definitely uh, just State again for the state the obvious for everyone else. Everyone should go check out Omni Part One. It's Please fantastic. do, Andrew. Like I said, thank you. It's heavier. Uh, you're you kind of have been upping the ante for heaviness the past several years, and you still managed to hang on to your iconic voice while doing something Thanks, fresh. Man. And I love it. I really appreciate you and your music, man. Appreciate you guys. Uh, hopefully, we can do this again. And uh, yeah, really enjoyed it. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.